You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with me this week. I super appreciate you, as always. This week, I am talking to Colby Acuff. Colby writes, in my opinion, some of the best country music out there right now. If you've been following this show for a while, you know that I interview a wide variety of artists from all genres, but I tend to slant a little heavily towards the punk, metal, hardcore type of thing just because... That's what I listen to a very, very large chunk of the time. But if there had to be a number two category, it would probably be country music. I'm a huge country fan. I'm a massive fan of the old stuff. And in recent years, there have been people like Kobe coming along and reinvigorating my interest in modern country music. I joke about this a lot, but I'm sort of serious when I talk about my old job and how the radio station was permanently affixed to the quote-unquote country music station, it drove me absolutely bananas because I am a massive fan of the genre and I really didn't feel, especially at that time, that it was being represented at all. Colby and I talk about that. We also get into his journey and how he went from Idaho, which, you know, fellow Northwestern U.S. resident, so I appreciate that very much, to Nashville and what that journey looked like for him. It's a really, really good conversation. I really, really like his music, and he's just a cool dude. So please go check out Colby. The links to all his stuff will be in the show notes, of course. But without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland. With me today, I have Colby Acuff. What's going on, dude? How are we doing, man? Thank you so much for having me on. I wanted to wait until we got into the recording to notice that you had a, a, a Snappies hat on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Portland oh, yeah. San- Sandwich Institution Snappies. Yeah, man. I uh, we went there, and honestly, I like we just looked it up. It was near our hotel. Mm-hmm. We walked over there, and these hats were amazing. I mean, <laughs> obviously, if you've been there, you know that it's like, you know, it's just this little tiny sandwich spot in between two other restaurants. Mm-hmm. And they just have like VHS on, and the sandwiches were amazing. But the hat, dude, I just couldn't live without the hat. Yeah, so. yeah dude. <laughs> I'm a hat guy, so oh, I yeah. get it. I totally understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, the two restaurants that Snappy's is in between are also great. Uh, Nong's is a, a great chicken spot, and then the the ramen on the other side is awesome. So you really can't go wrong in that little building. Yeah, no, I mean, the food all looked amazing. We only had time to eat at Snappy's, and boy, it was, yeah, I loved it. I've been, I've been rocking this hat, man. I've been wearing it all over. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I wanted to get you on because uh, my wife turned me on to your music. We showed up to the, the show, and uh, it was great to meet you and you know talk for a little bit there. But I've been really, really enjoying your music. Uh, I am a country music fan, um, 
but I, I've kind of digressed into, into punk rock and metal and stuff as, uh, as I got older and my wife did the same thing, but in the last three years, she's just like dove head first back into like legit, real good country music. And so she gets to introduce me to all the people she thinks I would like you being one of them. So, uh, yeah. So I just wanted to get your story, man. Where I know you, you're from Idaho, but you ended up in Nashville, which is my home away from home. Uh, so I just wanted to hear the Colby Acuff tale. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's just like any tale. It all starts in the beginning. And right. uh, it all starts in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So the northern panhandle part of Idaho. Uh, you know, I just grew up uh, mostly outdoors then. And uh, I think music was very early on for me. I started playing piano when I was five. Uh, and I've been singing since I could basically, I mean, the very first, you know, really sentence that I had said, I guess I was a really quiet, you know, toddler. Mm-hmm. And I just started singing uh, John Jacob Jinglehammer Schmidt. And my mom was like, do that again. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it just kind of always been a thing for me. Um, but yeah, piano at five and then drums a little later on, maybe when I was nine or 10, started taking drum lessons. And then started playing guitar when I was 13 and then writing when I was 16. That's kind of a really cliff note version of it. Mm-hmm. But I think as far as music comes, it, it, it starts with just the influence, you know, of like when I was a kid, we always would go see live music. My dad was in a band in college and then my dad played a lot of uh, records. You know, and we listened to a lot of vinyl on 45s and um, my mom always had like a ton of Elton John playing and a lot of the Eagles and like great melody writers, you know, mm-hmm. always were around in the household. And then my dad always listened to outlaw country stuff and a lot of like old bluegrass and a ton of fifties rock and roll. I mean, if you kind of put all that together, you're going to end up with a Colby Acuff song. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's so. true. That's very true. Which is, yeah, I similarly, I grew up, my dad and mom both were really into outlaw country and uh, you know, like, we worshipped at the altar of Waylon Jennings, you know, at, at our house. <laughs> so, God, literally the best to ever do it. I mean, Waylon, that's how you do it. Man. Yeah, it's, oh, it's as legit as it gets. But it's just, um, it's 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 been interesting to watch, right? So I, I was such a fan of that stuff. Uh, and this is going to sound funny. I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, but at my old job, there was it was really it sounds crazy, but one of the reasons I really wanted to leave is because they always had the country music radio station on. And that's was, you know, I worked there from like 2011 to 2018. So, you know, what was on the radio at (laughs) at that time. Right. And it drove me insane. Like it drove me crazy. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I don't mean to like crap on anybody's artistry. I do sometimes, but like, I, I know everyone's got their own expression, but that stuff was not for me at all it drove me insane well you know i mean i i think here's kind of how i look at it you know i you start with music for musicians right Mm -hmm. so let's start with jazz okay and then as it keeps going it just keeps becoming more and more for the people i would say is Mm -hmm. what i would call it and you know obviously i'm just i am honestly like the most like layman person ever like i'm very you know I am the, I am the audience. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so if you start with jazz, like music for musicians, just like top tier theory stuff, music, you start working it back. 
eventually you're going to end up on the other side. <laughs> like what is the ultimate music for just people the general who, population yeah yeah, and people who you know like 99 percent of people can't even hear the bass they don't even know what that is they just think mm-hmm. there's a third or second guitar up on stage so eventually you're going to end up there and then my hope is just to be somewhere in the middle right <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. i mean i i think it's uh but yeah, I mean, music that appeals to the masses, I feel like typically doesn't um, always appeal to the people who are also making music sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, it was nails on a chalkboard to me. I remember one time specifically, I I just kind of stood up and was like, I haven't even been here all day. But you realize, because I kept track, because I'm just that way. I was like, yeah. this song's been played six times in like yeah. the five and a half hours that I've been here. And I haven't even been in the office the whole time. So it might actually have played more than that, you know, and everyone else was like, oh, I didn't even notice. They didn't eat it. Like the yeah. thing that was driving me insane. They didn't even realize that of course. It, it was just background noise. You know? I mean, dude, 90% of it. I mean, and this is not a bad thing either. What, what we're talking about is something that I think we equally are passionate about, but I also, at the end of the day, like, I, you know, I'd step back and it's like, well, I don't know. There is no good or evil in that. You know, it just, it does, but I agree with you. It drives me nuts. But the thing about it is there's, I think there's two kinds of artists and there's two kinds of bands. Some bands have been able to do this uh, in equilibrium and in band in balance. Mm -hmm. And that's fine too. But I I definitely think nowadays, especially um, you, if you come to Nashville, you're either coming here to make great music where you really want to be famous. Right. <laughs> now, those might switch somewhere in your journey. You might be able to do both, or you might just be able to pick one, you know, no matter how that is. But I definitely feel like you get to Nashville one way. It's a one-way ticket to ride. You know, you got to get here because either you really want to be famous or you really want to make music. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two things that really bring people here, you know, as far as like what we're talking about. So Totally. Um and I think, you know, that's kind of where you end up with what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> well, where I was going with all that is, you know, that drove me insane. It partially got me motivated to start doing this and eventually leave. Um, obviously not 100% that, but it, it, was a, it was a factor because I was the young man on the totem pole and I was never going to be allowed to change a radio station, you know, right. until, until I was, you know, fully up there. Um, but... I've noticed something really interesting and it really, really was apparent to me this summer when I went to a farewell fest here in Oregon. Um, it's like music that's similar, I guess if you want to call it what I view as a little more authentic, a little more real, I feel like there's been a hunger for it that hasn't really been met until maybe the last three to five years at a wide scale, you know? Yeah, for a while it was like, well, who do you like that's new? It's like, uh, Sturgill Simpson, and I don't know of anybody else right now. <laughs> you know, yeah, the list isn't period. very. It wasn't very long. You know, now and it's I huge. Think, now it's growing. It's, it's well, it's kind of those things where you, man, it's just like if you keep eating the same thing every single day, but they just keep changing it a little bit and just keep making it like a little bit. Every oh. every day, you'll you'll never notice the difference until mm-hmm. you eat something that's really good and like new. 
Right. <laughs> and I think people just got in a point where they were just like, wow, we're just consuming. Like, I like this one song a lot. So we're going to consume the same thing. And then obviously, you know, money got involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's got to make theirs. I understand. Totally. Um, and so they start, you know, basically printing this out. And not that it's, you know, once again, not that it's a bad thing, but it was a time period. And it is a time period that right now people are looking back on and going, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when that was happening? Because because it is. And I was at that time, I would have been, uh, I was like in high school probably. And mm-hmm. I, either high school or college. College was like right when Childers was coming out. Okay. I remember, because Sturgill had already happened and I was a big fan of Sturgill. Then I remember when Tyler, I found Tyler and I was like, whoa, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a big step for me. But even at that point in time, I'm a huge fan of Tyler. But I'm also at that point, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Luke Combs. Those right. two guys are doing something that are very different. You know, they're, that's such a, you know, at the time, both of those were huge outliers. Totally. Uh, which is crazy to think with Luke, especially because he's on his like 17th or 18th number one hit now. But um, regardless, I just, man, it, it, it was the Chinese water torture, just one drop at a time, mm-hmm. everything the same. Um, and so I think people had a hunger for something new, you know, something refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's cool to see the, that is being accepted and people, and then also the industry is going like, Oh wait, people actually do want this. Oh you know? yeah. I mean, being accepted, I think is understanding. It is trending. Like, yeah. You know, it, it, it's almost, I, I love the, uh, the art or the conversation about what's going on now about how it's like, everyone's saying, Oh, it's like when Nirvana came on the scene, it's like the grunge scene. Or a little like, bit, yeah. Yeah, and, but mm-hmm. people are making all these comparisons, you know, and mm-hmm. especially with, um, you know, you can say what you can about, you know, like Sergio and Tyler, but like even with Zach Bryan, I mean, that 100%. is out of control, unhinged, crazy, crazy. I couldn't believe it. That was the first time I realized that it was really happening. So right. there was a small, it's really funny, a kind of a small-ish festival here that's no longer happening, but it, ha- it was like 15 minutes from my house called uh, Wild Hair Music Fest. And Zach okay. Bryan was playing one of the nights. And this was like, as I had just become introduced to him. And I show up in Canby, Oregon, not a big town. I'm like, oh, yeah, one of my favorite bands was was playing there. So that was cool. I got to hang out with them. But, I mean, 30-plus thousand people just showed up for Zach Bryan. There hadn't been that many people there all day long. Zach Bryan started playing. And I had just discovered him. So I was like, what is happening? Oh, wow, this is insane. Yeah. And now to see, you know, a few more of his shows and to go like, this is a moment. And I think a lot of people, even people who, you know, really study and are students of country music. I heard uh, Tyler Mahan Co. say something about it. Um, he's, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Cocaine and Rhinestones, but it's a great, oh, yeah. great podcast. Yeah. So he, he said something on a different podcast about Zach being like the biggest thing in country music. And he was like, yeah, but who cares? And I was like, oh you're missing it, dude. Yeah. You know, he was like, that doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And I, and I thought you're like way smarter about this stuff than way more educated on the history of this than I am. And you're missing it. You know, you're, yeah. you're not seeing it, what's happening. I agree. There's, um, yeah, I feel the problem that I'm having nowadays is I feel like no one's happy with anything. <laughs> so they, they want something else. And like, just talk about just 
I mean, music is content, man, you can't put out enough. Right. I mean, I've done a record every single year for the last four years and I'm trying to, I mean, I'm working on my fifth right now, but it's not, I mean, it's two things. One, I love like in my year, I love going from touring to writing to cutting a record back to touring to release. Mm-hmm. Like that is my year cycle. And I like to do that. So I like to have my record in there per year to keep my sanity. <laughs> and, but like, you know, if I wasn't doing that, it's hard to sit on a record for a couple of years anymore. Like people just don't do it. They don't. Not only that, people are putting out double albums. And I mean, you know, the sky's the limit for songs. Um, but people turn them and burn them so quickly, like turnover on albums now. I mean, it's, it's so short. And to get one that can last long, I mean, if you can get an evergreen song or a record, I mean, you can't really ask for much more than that anymore because it's really hard to, to keep retention. Yeah. So, you know, you're a, you're a younger guy, so I wonder what your viewpoint on it is because is, everyone talks about how difficult it is these days, and I think that's true. It is difficult because there's so much noise. There's so much things coming at people. People are listening to podcasts for some reason, uh, and, you know, there's all kinds of things vying for everyone's attention, right? And I, I do believe that it is difficult, and I, I, I don't just believe it. I know it, but I've always held the viewpoint that is it really more difficult now than say in the seventies when your only opportunity to get heard was on the road. Like you can't, couldn't just put something out on the internet and, and have anybody find it. Like, yes, it gets hard to cut through the noise, but somebody can hear you from your bedroom, you know? Yeah. I, I, I personally don't think it's any more or less difficult. I think it's different. Mm-hmm. Like I think I would say where this is, 1970 or even the 80s i'm gonna be walking around i mean i'm gonna have to go play every show now of course gas is way cheaper so it's way easier to be on the road um but you can't get attention to yourself unless you're on tv on the radio that's it yep and that's kept hard like very super hard hard. and you Mm -hmm. have to have a you have to have a record deal where you have to sell all your masters you're gonna sell everything you have to Mm -hmm. be famous this is a great example of back then you'd sign six people a year. Maybe that'd be a huge year if they signed six new people to work them. Mm-hmm. Nowadays they're signing 60, yeah. 70. <laughs> I mean, the industry is signing so many people because you, I mean, once again, you, you can turn them and burn them quickly too, which is not a great thing, but I think it gives a ton more freedom to the artist. And if you want to be independent, you can make it. I mean, by the time I got to Nashville, I, I mean, I had a decent establishment. Like I had already, I had fans. I mean, I had, I had done some, some pretty good numbers by the time I got to Nashville. So you can, I think you just have more avenues to do it now. I think mm-hmm. nowadays though, you have to work harder at many different things to make yourself stand out. And you have to be, um, you have to know exactly like what you want to do and who you are as an artist. Because I think that's how you break through the noise the best, is being very authentic. It's kind of a race of who is more authentic, which is a terrible competition to have. But <laughs> you know, I, I think it's better than who's, who's the most fake. Like, how ridiculous can we make this? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, it does have some comparisons to, like, the punk rock scene, which is what I grew up in, you know, in yeah. the early 2000s. And, like, that you know, that scene supposedly values authenticity above all else. But when you really chip away at it, it's like, ah, 
well, Sid Vicious couldn't even play bass, you know, like, right. He, I know. He, yeah. he was just a, it, a lot of that was fabricate. A lot of the authenticity ended up being fabricated. And, yeah. uh, and I, you, I think that's, that's in everything. I've heard some people refer to the music industry as like, it's all pro wrestling. And like, I yeah. sometimes it is like, sometimes is. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the biggest thing is they really love you in the beginning when you're authentic and it's so innocent and and naive because when they hear that for the first time and it's like their very first um their very first look at you like the first watch through the first listen through they're like man this is great but then what happens is the scene gets saturated it gets more and more saturated and you have a choice you can either stay true to like what you were when they found you and hopefully they appeal to that or B, you can beef it up a little bit and be like, no, I'm going to double down on the next video right. to make you give you more that more than you asked for. Uh, and I try to give more with my songs than with me personally, because like the way I see it and it, it you know, the, the other thing is, I think when you make these decisions, you kind of got to ride and die by them. Mm-hmm. Like I ran into some problems, I think, where I'm like, well, this really isn't me. I'm not going to do this even though it probably would work. Right. Right. You know, and then sometimes you do something. Uh, and then, so it's like, you're kind of putting it all on you to be like, well, I think this, what we're doing is, is good. I'm going to make that decision. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I think as a brand, that's what I want people to take away from it. And that's what I want my fans to be. So I, I'd almost rather do it the other way. Hi, I'm Vincent. And I'm here to talk about the Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man. That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. It, it's so much harder, I think. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have 
the ability to be anything other than what I am. I never have like, right. It's just, it's just too hard. Like it's too hard to fake it. it. I can't live a lie because then if you're living a lie, you tell another lie and another lie and and I'm just not good with that. Like I'm, I won't be able to keep that up. No. I mean, I do my best to just be as authentic as possible. And then even then I find myself sometimes, you know, uh, maybe I bragged on a band or something on the podcast or I talked about a piece of gear that I didn't like. And then fast forward three years and I'm like, actually, I do really like that now. Right. But I publicly said that I didn't three years ago. And now it's kind of a weird, a weird thing. I'm like, well, yeah, I changed my mind. And uh, I mean, you you can do that. In fact, I think that's a good thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I think admitting when you do something wrong is a lot better than living in that. I think I'm just surprised at how much my own tastes have evolved and continue to evolve, even though I'm in my 30s. I kind of thought once you hit 25, you're pretty well set. But it if you really are you know, trying to explore new things, I feel like you can't help but change your taste a little bit here and there. It's got to change. I mean, there's you, like as soon as you stop changing, I mean, you know, I mean, for the better, like growing and evolving like your craft and what you do, the minute that stops, it gets super stale, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it just there's a there's a factor that I always talk like with my producer and stuff. And it's the goal is to keep it authentic and keep it young. Mm hmm. Because, I mean, you want it to be refreshing and new, and you want it to be like, oh, wow, this sounds not old, not stale, not like his old stuff. You can tell that, you know, we're trying really hard to, to push the boundaries and keep it, keep it young, you know, keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, for me at least, that's something that I really try to do as much as possible, um, which, once again, coming back to, like, the authentic part, I mean, I really am just like a, a big old 13-year-old. Like, dude, in, <laughs> in the green room, I just play with yo-yos. And, like, I, it's, yeah, it's it's not great, but I... <laughs> it's just it, totally it, great. No, it's it fine. It keeps it, but it keeps it good that way. And honestly, like, that's, you know, when you're a kid, I think you're the happiest when you're a kid. And it's like, there's actually a Toby Keith song called Don't Let the Old Man In. I don't know if you've ever heard that song. I don't think I have, no. But actually, it's pretty sick, and it's basically just yeah, don't let the old man in, like don't, don't let him show his face, like stay young forever, kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I really, I like that mentality quite a bit. Yeah, I do too. I it, it's kind of funny to sit here, like, and looking back at my old jobs and things, and I've been doing this full time since 2018, and it's really weird. Like, I'm like, I really do get to. I mean, obviously, there's taxes and stuff that you know, you got to adult sometimes, but like, right. I really do get to just hang out and not talk about music and guitars all, all the time, like all the time. (laughs) (laughs) True. (laughs) I mean, it's nice, which is super, super sick and not something that I thought was ever going to be an option. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I do sometimes, I actually had a guy I know working on my house here a couple years ago and, uh, I do a lot of that stuff. Well, long story short, the listeners know, I got smoke damage to my house in the middle of an episode uh, in like, oh. 2019 or something. So it was kind of a weird, a weird scenario. So I had some, a restoration company and one of my buddies happened to work there, you know, here. And he was like, yeah, some of us have real jobs, you know? And I said, yeah, I had one of those for like, you know, almost 20 years. It sucked. <laughs> yeah. I always say I, uh, when I decided to do this full time, I'd always work four or five jobs from like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'd probably say 12 to 25. Mm-hmm. 
And when I finally was just full on music, uh, I just remember thinking like, Oh, I just retired. Right. Like I, I, uh, I'm going to work until I'm dead, Mm -hmm. but I just retired because I mean, I'm going to do something that, um, that I love. And I, it's kind of always been that way for me. Like I got out of college. I was like completely like I was groomed for white collar, ready to go. Uh, I got a job offer to go work, um, as a stockbroker and I got the pitch and it was going to be great. And I, you know, I just, it wasn't for me. I wasn't feeling it. And so the, I went into my, my local fly shop and I was getting a rod fixed and he's like, Hey man, you know, you ever thought about guiding? And I was like, done. So I became a fly fishing guide, turned mm-hmm. down the stockbroking job and then started working on, you know, I, I would, get up in the morning, go do a full day or a half day trip. And then I'd go play a bar that night. And so it was music and it was, um, music and the guiding. And in college I had kind of dabbled in real estate to get ready for the white collar world. So I still had that kind of going, um, very, very busy though. And then, you know, once the, I mean, we kind of came out, uh, if I were the devil's a record and it just, it kind of took us to where we needed to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I followed that, but I always, you know, kind of my end goal with the fly fishing thing and even with the music was like, I wanted to make my hobbies, my life. I didn't want to have a hobby. I wanted to be the best fly fishing guide ever. If I was going to be one, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to spend every day fishing and talking about fish. And if I was going to do music, I wanted to spend every single day playing guitar, writing songs, working on that, you know? And so I, I think it's just always been though. That's that's the goal. Is I don't have a hobby. I have a career. Right. I'm glad you brought up the guiding thing because I actually want to go back to that. So it yeah. seems like you were kind of chasing, if I'm reading this correctly, two two different but parallel passions. Like there was the fly mm-hmm. fishing. You love that music. You love that, and you were doing. It seems like you were just going to do both of those as hard as possible, and whichever one takes off is the one that takes off, sort of. yeah am i I reading that right totally and you know the the reality of the situation is is like i mean i was pretty much completely committed to being a fly fishing guide because i was like there's basically no way in hell that this music thing is going to work out right and i i mean i love my job there i worked uh, at a company called northwest outfitters out of Cortland, idaho uh i mean just did uh walking wade like trophy cutthroat trips and it was amazing i'm like I mean, my life was amazing. I wake up in the morning, I go fishing, come back, you know? And I mean, it's, uh, I will say, you know, the guide life is tough. It's not for everybody. Um, but the, you know, you're very rich in happiness, you know, like you're out of service most of the time. You're out of service hundred days out of the year. Oh, that sounds like, good. <laughs> and you're, and you get paid for it. Like what, what more could you want? You know, it's such a, it's a great life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then the music started taking off and I was like, holy Okay, well, I mean, I guess this is where we're going. So how um, did that how did that happen? Like what yeah, you obviously you're playing, you're recording, you're putting stuff out. Was there an inflection point where you're like, "Oh, this yeah. is really going." Like what what so, was that like? Well, so we'll start with the first record. So we did Life of Rolling Stone, and we did Life of Rolling Stone because at the time I was just a two-piece. It was me and a bass player, big mm-hmm. stand-up bass. And he he's like, "Well, I want to go on tour." I was like, well, I'm not going on tour unless we have a record. And this time, we're just kind of putzing around, playing in Coeur d'Alene, Moscow, Lewiston, like Sandpoint, just a bunch of Idaho stuff. 
mm-hmm. but we're doing really, really well in Moscow. And I wrote this song called Moscow Drinking Team when I was in college. So we'd go play it and everyone loved it and blah, blah, blah. And it was kind of like this little anthem that started in Moscow, Idaho for the Vandals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we cut our first record. We release it. And then I have shows. We're going to go play in Montana. We're going to go on tour in Montana and play all these like breweries and stuff. And it's going to be great. Uh, and then uh, two weeks later, COVID happened. We had to shut down the entire tour. But I released right. the record. Now, my first year, the record doesn't do anything like crazy, crazy, but it's enough to where I'm like, "Woo, man, like we, this is some great growth. You know, I mean, you look at it this way, we're sitting on, we're actually considered somebody. We're getting talked about very, not all the time, but every now and then I get tagged in a post and I'm like, okay, people are listening to this. This is happening. So COVID hits, I'm out of shows. I can't do anything. So I go back to guiding full time busiest guide year of my life but as i'm guiding i'm writing the record if i were the devil so i'm thinking well i you know i think i'm gonna cut this record because i don't really know where this is going but if if there's a time to do it this will be the year you know Mm -hmm. if anybody wants to hear this so we cut if i were the devil the day i got done cutting the record we had to drive from boise to moscow to play a show and i pull up we play the gig we get done and three cats walk up to us when we get done and they're like, Hey man, are you guys trying to fill out the band? And these guys that walk up, they're like, I mean, some of, if not the best musicians in Moscow at the time. And, um, you know, my bass player knew him a lot better than I did. And he said, yeah, man, these, these guys, these guys can play. This would be a great fill out. So basically by the time we had our very first band practice, if I, the devil was out and it was doing really well. By June, it had done its first million streams, and it came out in February, and that's when it really started taking off. And I remember when we cut If I Were the Devil, we're sitting there listening back to it in the studio room, and I remember looking at uh, the producer or my buddy who kind of ran the business with me or runs the business with me. I look at him and say, hey, man, like, man, if, if we could just get this thing to – if we could somehow get it to do a million streams in a year as a record – that would just be that would be so crazy. So fast forward now we're in June and we're already there. Mm-hmm. That's my inflection point of like oh okay maybe that, I learned a lot in that month. That month I learned once you release music it is no longer yours. Mm-hmm. So like once the public owns it and they want if they want to step on the gas pedal you better hold on because like there is no stopping that. And so there is you know I mean at that time I was uh, I was I was twenty. I was either 23 or 24 when that was happening. So it was like, then after that, it just kind of, then I knew it was going to be full time. Yeah. I mean, that song, uh, if that, if there was anything that was going to resonate with people, especially during that time frame, it was going to be that song. Like, right. <laughs> I just didn't think anyone was going to hear it because here I am. I have no booking agent, no label, no publishing deal, no management, completely nothing. I mean, we cut that entire record with three dudes. Wow. Where were you, what, where were you at? Where did you record that? Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, he, he's, record, he's produced my first three records, and he, was, he played, and uh, he's in my band. Kind of, he plays steel guitar for the band now. Um, but his name's Kyler Darren. He has Den Studios in Boise, Idaho. 
and cool. he does a great job. At the time, he has a studio now, but at the time, we cut it in his basement. Yeah, <laughs> was, I love hearing it that. Was, <laughs> it was some lo-fi, dude. <laughs> but it was great, man. And he, he's a great producer, great engineer. And, um, you know, he's great with working with artists. And we just we found a sound that we really liked. And it was such a fun record to make, man. If I Were the Devil and uh, Western White Pines, I, there's such a two records that I... I wish I could go back and cut again, you know, just where everything goes, not the way you want it to, but the way it should. And the songs really lead the charge. Mm-hmm. Man, it, it's great to hear that because I think a lot of people, you know, hearing that story is really cool because a lot of people don't think that that stuff is possible. You know, we, there's, it's hard, yeah, but, but it is possible. You know, if you make something that people really latch on to it, it, it can go viral. It can go, it can get out there. I mean, yeah, I remember that. I mean, my wife brought me that song. She was like, you have to hear this song yeah. now and just hit play. And I was like, <laughs> I did need to hear that song. She does that a lot. And it doesn't always grab me that same way, but I, was yeah. like, I do need to hear that song now. Like, so it's, um, it's, it's great when it works, man. Yeah. It's, so, it's great when it works. And I, you know, or go ahead. Sorry. I, no, go ahead. You finish that out. I got a completely different thing I want to get into. So finish oh, what you're saying. Well, I was just going to say like something that I do say quite a bit, you know, um, like the worst thing that a ve- some, you know, bad words, I think, especially for creative types, you know, th- that's impossible. Well, that'll never happen. All these things. And I think, you know, for my, my main pitch is, man, I am dead proof that, you know, the impossible is just the improbable. Mm-hmm. Everything is only improbable. And, you know, I'd say anybody who doesn't live in northern Idaho, you know, it, you can even live in northern Idaho, but I'm saying, like, my certain situation, and especially the time that it was, coming, I mean, I, coming out of what we were in, what we were just talking about, thinking that that was going to be a sound that got picked up that was going to maybe be a dream of mine that I could chase across the country mm-hmm. at the time was really daunting. But I never thought about it twice. Just did it. I just thought, well, I, this is good. I like this. People seem to like it. Kind of like, let's do this. Mm-hmm. It'll be good. Yeah. Um, and you just got to work really hard. But yeah, everything is just improbable. Totally. I love that. So knowing that you were able to accomplish all that from Idaho, and I, I you know, it's in your songs. I know you, you love the area. You love the, the Northwest. You love Idaho. Like you talk about it all the time. What made you eventually decide like, I've got to go to Nashville. I know it's music city. I know there's lots of things there, but considering what you were able to accomplish, not being there, did that give you any, like, well, maybe I, maybe I don't need to go, but obviously you made the decision to go. So I'm just curious what that process was like. Yeah. It was about year three. And so this is, you know, we've already put out our third record now. And the biggest disappointment, and also the biggest, probably the biggest lesson I've ever learned in this, is we come out of the Fire of the Devil, we have an amazing year, then we have another amazing year, and we didn't get a single phone call Mm -hmm. from anybody. Not a booking agent, not a management company. I mean, just crickets. And so I'm like, like now I'm thinking, I think my mentality at that time was, we're never going to get out. Not like, where can I go? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, oh boy, now we are 
not that we're stuck because I love it up there, you know, but it's just like, holy, this song and this, these, this sound is never going to get out of the region. Right. And I don't have enough money to tour by myself. Like I don't have anything set up for this. I can't make this happen by myself. And I just remember feeling super, super stuck. Just kind of like, uh, I like there for the very first time in my career, I don't know if I saw, I couldn't see what was on the other side. I didn't know where to go with it. Mm-hmm. It's been like one more year of just playing, you know, kind of doing the same thing, same thing, same thing. We need, we need something new, something exciting. And so, uh, it was like, okay, now I need to make a, a move. I need to figure out if I'm going to move to Texas, stay in Idaho or move to Nashville. And about six months after that, we got a phone call that we we're going to get a record deal. So that's really what decided everything mm-hmm. was once I came down to Nashville, met with management, you know, got everything set up. You know, I think the the moving part of it, as far as like the actual, okay, I'm moving to Nashville part. The touring makes sense out of here. Right. Even to go to the West. It's just like everything is here. It makes sense to be here. HQ is here. This is where, you know, the war room is here. This is where mm-hmm. you fight from you go on tour from the war room um but yeah i mean at the time i i think the the most infancy of that question was man i don't know if i'm gonna get out of here so once we got an offer to go somewhere we were gonna go right it was like am i gonna be you know the biggest act in idaho is that and is that enough to support what i really want to do you know type of thing or do we want to get out to more people you know Yeah, and it's tough, man. I mean, Northern Idaho and Southern Idaho are two completely different planets. They, they're they different culturally. The music scenes are different. Like Northern Idaho, Southern Idaho has bands that Northern Idaho people have never heard of before. Okay. <laughs> and I was that case for Northern Idaho. You know right. what I mean? It, it just, it, the state is too big. It's just too much. And it's not like a unified music scene, which mm-hmm. is getting there, which I, I like a lot. And I, I think the music scene is coming together more or less. But yeah, man, it just... It's a crazy, you know, you know how the Northwest is. I mean, it's just so different. I feel, I feel, you know, as different as like Seattle and Portland scene, very different. And I feel like North Idaho and Southern Idaho scene, even though they're kind of all playing the same stuff, very different. Like sometimes you just don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it goes, it's probably reciprocated, but like Portlanders, they're like, boo, Seattle. But even though, like, everyone else in the right. country would be like, they're the same place. Like, <laughs> uh, they're not. Yeah. But I, mean, but I can see why people feel that way. just regional stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just regional differences, though. Like, obviously, I mean, you've got to ask me, like, I'm a, I'm a Northern Idaho guy. I like Northern Idaho. Yeah. Of course. You know, I, I've always said Southern Idaho. The only thing that Southern Idaho has ever given to Northern Idaho is bad press. That's, I mean, that's, a, <laughs> that's a quote. You can take that to the bank. I've said that a million times. And I believe that as a fact. You know, it's like in the Idaho paper, if it's a guy from Boise who does something weird, they're like, you know, Idaho man does this, blah, blah. If it's someone from Northern Idaho, it's Northern Idaho man falls off a building or like Northern Idaho man does this, does that. So it's, you know, I mean, and I, it is what it is. I I have no problem with it. I just think it's kind of funny, but I feel like in the Northwest, especially because it's kind of a, you know, it's so far out there. Mm-hmm. everyone has a little bit of you know especially in the music scene i feel like a lot of people have a ton of pride in their their scene that they were in yeah for sure what was it like for like 
your family when they saw you going after these things? You know, did you have a lot of support there? Was there some hesitation or what was that like for you? Uh, my parents have always supported me. I mean, they, they got me my very first shows when I was a teenager and we were playing in bars and, um, they would vouch for me to go play in bars and they would be at every single show. And, you know, I mean, they've always supported me in my music goal. I think a couple times there was like, Whoa, what is going on here? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think when I took the guiding job, it, there was a lot of confusion there. Um, but no fault to their own. I think, but if I don't take the guiding job, that's my first, you know, leap of faith thinking I'm jumping off a cliff and I jump 10 feet and land totally fine. Once I realized that risk is not risk, you know, for the most part, mm-hmm. um, not every single bet is you putting everything on red. Right. You know, a, a lot of bets are actually in your favor. So um, just kept jumping off. And if it didn't hurt me, it was great. And we just kept doing those, those riskier bets. And I, you know, a lot of younger guys, I feel like they think that they're, you know, they're making these insanely risky moves, but it's not. I mean, first of all, if you're 23 years old, what the hell do you have to lose? Yeah, you, you have, got like, plenty of time. You already yeah. have nothing. Mm-hmm. You, you already have nothing. You are nothing to nobody. Mm-hmm. So like, you might as well do some crazy because that's the only way it's going to work. That's the time to do it. Absolutely. So, you know, I, but yeah, that, that's if, you know, started taking risks, started doing that. But yeah, my parents have always supported me. And I think when I decided to go full time, I mean, they were super happy with it. In fact, I remember the day I I retired um, from real estate pretty much. Not, I mean, retired, but hung it up, you know? Yep. And my dad, I just looked down and was like, yeah, dad, this, I mean, we're at, we were at a Christmas party, a real estate Christmas party. And I was like, dad, it's the same for me. It's not, it's not my thing. He goes, yeah, I mean, I understand because I think you should do it. I think you should chase the dream. You should go do your thing. Cause my dad's a little bit older and he's telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, looking backwards for me, it seems like it was yesterday mm-hmm. and looking forward seems like it's, it's taken forever. So like, you know, you should chase the dream because it's the time to do it and you, you got to go do it. It's, it's just what, you know, I think also, you know, my mom, she's a painter and, uh, she was, trying to be a painter full time and um she ended up kind of you know she had to put that aside to do some other things i think now she's painting again and doing the whole thing and she's got a gallery and she's doing she's doing it um but i think both my parents um both very well understood what it meant to chase a dream and be an entrepreneur and run your own business and you know be happy Mm -hmm. essentially what i'm saying We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write 
that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with very compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossie, I'd invite you to head over to chaseblinsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a different life for sure. You know, I, I had a conversation with my dad about doing all this stuff you know um i just called him up one day and i was like here's what i've been doing i know you don't really know anything about any of this stuff but here's what i've been doing i've been you know i'd i'd worked really hard to get to where i was and had done all the right things to to get there and it all worked as it was supposed to and cool but i was like this sucks though like (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah dude yeah yeah it's just like i don't like and it's not there's nothing wrong with it it's not like i had a terrible boss or anything um nothing like that in fact our my old boss's son now works for us down there at the string company which is like the wildest thing but um he was a great guy it wasn't any and my coworkers were fine like we got along it was all pretty good outside i couldn't take the radio station um yeah but i was just like i kept waking up every monday and going like why am i so miserable and this is more of a problem with me than it was with with anything else really yeah and and it was just i'm not doing what i want to do you know yeah you can't it's it's hard because i've you know and i say this and it has a complete underlying meaning it's like man i just wish sometimes I don't wish sometimes it's like the saying, but it's like, man, sometimes I just wish that I was happy. I could be happy with, you know, going to a job from nine to five and doing, you know, kind of the normal job stuff. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes this line of work, I mean, whoever thinks it's glamorous is not even your favorite <laughs> rock stars. You know, it, the problem is, is that you're like, literally you, you are so your brain doesn't work that way. And so you have to do things in what some people would say is the hardest way to possibly do things. Right. Because that's how you find enjoyment in things. And, you know, whether you like it or not, you got to, you know, in this life, you got to work. So you might as well pick what you like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I never did it for the money. You know, that I never did it for anything. I just did it because I wanted to like what I did every day. And I wanted to wake up and, you know, I, I didn't want to feel like I was writing a song wasting my time. Feel like I'm writing a song to to write a song for me to put it out to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you? I, I don't know. I just the same thing when I was guiding. It's like I can justify pissing away a whole day going fishing because that's gonna make me a better fisherman, right? And you like it, and I love it, you know. But mm-hmm. I just so once again, it's like I can justify driving around the country because that's my job. I can justify, you know, 
playing in bars every night because it's my job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, and I, I've always loved it. And I've, I've definitely been a road dog my entire life. I, you know, I love to travel, love to go. And I, I don't like the same thing for too long. So mm-hmm. Except my girlfriend, yeah. that's, that's been a good thing. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta throw that in for sure. So, you know what, what's next for you? I mean, like, you, are you still going to continue that same cycle? You think you're going to do that forever or you going to try to do like, like I said, change it up a little bit, mix it up here and there. Like what, what's, what are you staring down the barrel of right now? Yeah. I, I think it's funny. Cause like this year we're talking about the future now and we've, you know, we've always talked about the future, but the future used to be half pipe dream, half like half baked ideas that we'd somehow pull together. Right. Like, oh, man, I think we're going <laughs> to, Hey, instead of cutting the record in uh, Kyler's basement, maybe we should like go down to Texas. Like, oh, mm-hmm. that's, that's doable. That's like sure, six yeah. months in the future. Like that's, <laughs> that's not the future. Dude. <laughs> you know, now I just turned 27 and now, you know, I'm not saying I'm old by any means, but now I'm 27. When I start looking down the barrel now, now I'm looking at, okay, let's look at five years down the road. What does this look like? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think even back then, my five-year plan was such a pipe dream. I could say whatever the hell I wanted to. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think when I'm when I'm looking at the now for career stuff, um, I would love to keep doing a record a year, you know. And I think I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I, I look at an artist like Willie Nelson or Neil Young. You know, these guys that that got 2,000 songs, 50 records, you know, all this stuff. And um, for me, as far as just like, that would be a cool thing to do. I'd love to end up with, you know, anywhere from, you know, I'd love to have a long enough career to think that I could do 50 records or Mm -hmm. live that long for sake. But, you know, (laughs) I mean, Jesus, I think Willie's going to beat me, but, you know. I <laughs> I just saw him play at ninety. It was crazy. I know, man. God, he's such a legend. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but you know, I think a record a year. Um, I, I got into this. Oh, I think I overall I picked music over guiding because there's no ceiling, right? And every day is a new day, and I can I can I can test like the the field that you're playing on. You can change, or it'll change for you. Mm-hmm. which can be good or bad. Um, but it's, it's, it's very, for me, it's, uh, since it's new every day, I feel like I, I can commit myself for an entire career and feel like something is new. Um, um, but with shows and stuff, obviously like next year, we're, we're having a big year next year. We're going to go out on the road with Luke Combs for 13, uh, stadium shows. Nice. Um, we're going to be doing a ton of headlining stuff. Um, so we are putting pedal to the metal next year, hopefully have our fifth record out in five years. Um, but yeah, no, nothing for me says, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's pump the brakes. You know, no, I mean, for, we're always going to be a hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, that. how did that happen? You know, I know that like, obviously you're, you're signed now and there's connections that happen, but how did the Luke Combs thing come about? So, okay. So. Luke's manager, Luke and I share a manager. Okay. Um, and Luke and I met at my manager's birthday party. Um, and we, you know, at that point when we signed, we signed with Make Wake artists, who is like Flatland Cavalry, uh, mm-hmm. Luke Combs, Haley Witters, you know, um, Brent Cobb. And so 
don't know, I met Luke, kind of things are going on. And I, you know, I never expected to get anything from Luke. You know, I, I figured like, man, okay, well, we're, we're going to do this year, release Western White Pine, see how it goes. We ended up playing a show in Kansas City. We played like the Whiskey Jam tailgate stage for Luke's show there at Arrowhead. And after the show, you know, I don't know, things kind of, uh, we watched his show. We ended up having a few beers with him after the show. And uh, oh, we just talked. It was just mm-hmm. a simple conversation of us talking. But in that conversation, Luke had mentioned that he listened to the record. He liked the record. He liked what we were doing, blah, blah, blah. But that's kind of it. And I just kind of thought, well, man, that's crazy. You know, if you'd asked me five years ago, if Luke comes with a list of my record, you know, I would have told you yeah. to go pound sand. Right. But I um, kind of left it at that. And then I got a phone call that said, hey, how would you like to play 13 stadium shows next year with Luke <laughs> starting first to four, or first to five or whatever? I'm like, yes, please. What do you even say? I yeah. mean, what do you even say? You know? Um, no, I don't think so. Thanks, but and no it, thanks. You yeah. know, and it, because I'm, <laughs> you know, because of kind of where where I am positioned as far as like with management, I know for a fact, you know, he, he picks he picks his artists. Um, so it's truly an honor. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. So with that being said, now that we have that, um, yeah, we're looking to really light it up next year. We're looking to play a lot of big shows and even the small shows. We're looking forward to all of it. Nice. Very nice. Well, man, we are getting uh, close to that hour mark, and I got a couple classic questions I like to wrap this up. Man, we didn't talk about guitars at all. We just talked about music the whole time. I think that counts. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's fine. You play guitar. Maybe we'll get into it on Patreon. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I like to ask, ask a couple classic questions at the end of every episode. But before I do that, I like to give the guests a chance to you know take the stage. You know, you're talking to a couple thousand people right now. If there's anybody you want to shout out, you know, anything you want to plug favorite restaurant you want to, you know, give some attention to, whatever it is, uh, the floor is yours to just tell the people right now. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have a, a ton to say, I would say. I mean, uh, typically when I'm put in this situation, I'm probably going to do a shameless self-plug. Um, <laughs> but I would say, yeah, my name is Colby Acuff. I'm a, I'm a country music artist from Northern Idaho. And uh, if you don't like country music, I would implore you to go listen to my record western white pines or my record if i were the devil um and if you do like country music you should go listen to all four of my records is what i'd say <laughs> uh but i appreciate you all for uh, if you made it this far thank you for taking the time and i uh, hope you guys or hope to see you guys at a show for real go check out those records uh western white pines is phenomenal i uh, i've been listening to it a lot i listened to all the records but for some reason that one just grabbed me really well i don't know it hit me especially that title track. I really love it. And uh, yeah, you're doing, you're doing great stuff. So I was really excited to have you on and just nerd out for a little while. So thank you for coming hey man. on. Pleasure's all mine, seriously. And <laughs> next time we'll talk about guitars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time you're coming through Portland, we'll try to like, you know, depending on yeah. that tour, tour gets weird. So I know like sometimes there's not time, but we got some good shops. I can take you around. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Final questions. I know you primarily, at least on stage, play acoustic. So this may you may not uh, think about pedals all that often. But the classic question is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> about pedals. Um, yeah, I, I, so, yeah, I don't play with a ton of pedals. In fact, I play zero pedals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I do own an electric. <laughs> I was gonna say, but you have played yeah. pedals before, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. have. I mean, I have an electric, and I typically, I mean, I pretty much only use it for writing. But one of the things that we are trying to do is kind of work more and more into me getting an electric on stage. We've, we've mm-hmm. talked about it a ton. Um, and my biggest, like, the biggest problem is, yeah, I can play an electric guitar, but like, I don't know how to set up a board. Like, I'm here. I'm here for you. I don't. I don't <laughs> have this stuff. So I, I'm, I gotta. I gotta learn all that stuff. I gotta figure all that out. So I'm sure as soon as I say that, people are like, "Dude, this guy. I'm turning off this podcast." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's hey. the truth. But if you want to talk about like pickups and acoustics and stuff, mm. I'm there. All right. Let's get what 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 pickups are in your main acoustic right now. My favorite pickup right now is the LR Bags Anthem. I knew you were going to say that. That's a very popular Dude, it just, I know, and it sounds so good, but I mean, I don't know if you're going to, I mean, I think the best made pickups, if you're just going to buy a guitar that has a pickup in it and it's acoustic, it's unfortunate as it is. Well, I shouldn't say that because I truly believe it. I think Taylor's sound the best off the shelf plugged in. All right. I think there are three mic system in there. I played one for years. They sound great. Um, But I mean, right now I'm playing the Epiphone Hummingbird that I bought straight off the shelf. I mm-hmm. put an anthem in it. It sounds amazing. Nice. Very nice. My my personal acoustic, which I didn't get until this year. I actually am such a I'm such an electric hoarder. Like everything right. I have is electric and never had a good acoustic until I was gifted one this year. Um but it's a uh J160E and it actually has a P90 in it. I didn't know that's what it was. <laughs> it's got a from the factory, they put a no P90 way. in this acoustic guitar. And it's the best thing for me because I'm such an electric nerd. Yeah, that's um, amazing. It's like I can I I mic it up and then I run it into like a reverb or something, and I yeah. get both. So I'm suddenly playing like literally playing like a P90 based electric guitar and an acoustic guitar at the same time. It's fantastic. Oh, that is pretty sweet. Yeah, because I mean, I I also buy I try to buy a guitar every year. That's kind of my goal. I just okay. try to buy one a year, not not five and not zero. Okay, just try to buy one. If I end up buying two, it's the way it is. But Every guitar I buy, typically I buy it for songwriting. Yeah. So like I will I play I play a guitar. And I'm like, oh man, that guitar really like speaks to me. This will be a good guitar to write on. So mm-hmm. I have a 1984 Martin. I have a, a brand new 2000. It's either 2022 or 23 uh, Epiphone Hummingbird. I have a uh, I believe it's a 2000, maybe 1995. Uh, Taylor A14 CE, mm-hmm. um, and then I have a I have like a little Mexi Telly mm-hmm. that I that I ride a ton on for electric stuff. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I mean nothing too out of control, you know. Just kind of. But I'm looking for that next guitar right now. I'm in the hunt. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. Final question. What is your favorite kind of pizza? Hawaiian. Easy. No, really easy. Oh, dude, I, I did you not take you for a Hawaiian guy. Even then, I mean, take off the Canadian bacon and just put more pineapple. Oh on. no! You're going, <laughs> oh no! Oh yeah! I thought we were huge friends. Fan. Dude, oh, I'm no. a huge fan. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, I I actually straight up and this it's documented. Okay, this, this podcast has been around for a while, and I did not like pineapple before it was cool. I just straight up don't. <laughs> I just straight up don't like pineapple. Like, not on pizza, not on... That's just, like... So, some people like pineapple, not on pizza. And I'm like, well, 
if you like pineapple, you should like it on pizza because everything's good on pizza. But yeah, I just don't want. I, I just don't like pineapple on anything. So that's just that's just me. But hey, we'll just have to order two different pizzas when we go to town. <laughs> that, that's totally fine. Dude. <laughs> it's pretty classic, honestly. I'm always trying to get that. You know, like the half and half. Like, okay, mm-hmm. like half pineapple, half not. <laughs> I get and that's an, that's another thing. When if you come to Portland, we got some good pizza. I'll take you oh, some yeah. good pizza spots for sure, yeah. man. Well, dude, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, let's see what kind of shenanigans we can cause on Patreon. Does that work for you? Perfect. Thank you so much, man. All right, All right everybody. For Colby, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, there you have it, folks. There's another episode in the can. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I hope to get Colby back on the show at some point. Really, really enjoyed talking to that dude, getting to know him better, and uh, I think we we hit it off rather well. So hopefully you'll be hearing from him again on this podcast. And if you need a little more, of course, there is more over on Patreon, where every week you will get additional bonus episodes beamed right to your ear. So if that sounds like something you would like, go over to Patreon, check it out, and grab yourself some extra episodes for just five bucks a month. You will also get access to the ad-free versions of the main feed if you go there. So check that out. I appreciate the support. But if that isn't in the cards for you right now, I totally understand. But what I really, really, really would appreciate is you sharing any of these episodes with anybody you think might enjoy them. There have been some really banging episodes lately, and if any single one of those resonated with you at all, please share that with somebody that you think would feel the same way. That is what keeps this show going. I appreciate it so much. It means the world to me, and uh, I can't thank you enough for supporting me and, and letting me get to continue to do this. It really, really is huge. So thank you very much. Uh, Check me out on the Instagrams, the YouTubes, all that stuff. I appreciate your time. I'll talk to you on the internet very, very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got... 
three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hey, this is Scott from Fly in the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.